Hi guys, welcome to the Revive Stronger podcast. I'm your host as always, Steve Hall, and I'm very happy to be joined by John Meadows, the mountain dog, who I'm sure many of our listeners have heard of, or I hope you have at least. But if you haven't, I'm going to give you a small summary and background of John and why you probably want to be listening to this podcast. So um, John actually entered his first bodybuilding competition at the age of 13, which I still quite can't fathom. I don't think I was in any sort of, I I wasn't even lifting at 13. So that just kind of goes to show um, how long John has been in the game, which is definitely something we're going to be touching on. Um, He's also kind of been competitive within football, wrestling, track. So he has a very kind of sporty background in that sense and has won something like uh, on the website was 18 um, bodybuilding shows, including many state and regional titles and even a national title. Um, He also has uh, was has a BA in health and fitness management, has a certified strength and conditioning specialist. um, I guess that would be a. That's the NSCA cert. That's the best certification. I just read it out and I was like, that's a certification. Um, So, yeah. And then also, yeah, the the CISSN, uh, Certified Sports Nutrition um, from the International Society of Sports Nutrition. Um, So obviously, just basically, I'm trying to tell you, John is educated um, and he has a vast amount of experience in the field. And what I loved and a quote I took from John's website was that the amount of work that John put into bodybuilding is what he got out of it. And it was kind of like how the hard work equaled success. And I think a lot of our listeners will be able to kind of really feel that statement. Uh, I certainly do. It makes me kind of rings true in my mind in that I played team sports and it was always kind of like you could work as hard as you wanted, but if the whole team wasn't there, you could be let down. Whereas bodybuilding is kind of like your hard work, you got out what you put in. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add to that kind of messed up slightly uh, a summary of yourself, John? No, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. I've I've um, I've worked hard to maintain a level of education, but I never ever ever discount experience and um, you know actually working with people. So I try to have a good mix of both. Yeah, uh, exactly. Like an evidence based approach, I would say you take him on board the science, but also the experience. Um, and the anecdote and that scene I should mention your YouTube channel is fantastic there's a vast amount of information there and I'll make sure to link that below Um, and there's some fantastic you link up with some fantastic people over there as well yeah yeah I'm enjoying that oh awesome yeah I I imagine you are Um, so I I have to first of all say thank you to John for joining us it is his birthday today so automatically give us a thumbs up go in um, go subscribe to John's channel just for a birthday present so yeah massive thank you there um, we will first of all delve into kind of how did you get into bodybuilding, John? I mean, the fact is you competed at 13. I don't think many 13 year olds even know of bodybuilding at that age. So I'd love to hear a bit about that. Yeah, it's pretty, it's a pretty simple story, really. So I, um, I followed the magazines. I used to be a big time wrestling fan, a pro wrestling fan. Right. And so I used to go into the store to look and see how my favorite pro wrestlers were doing. And right by that section was the muscle and fitness, which had all the bodybuilders in it. So I was like, huh, I want to see what this is. So I grabbed and I looked through it. Man, I was hooked. <laughs> like at that young of an age, I automatically knew I want to be a bodybuilder someday. Like it just is weird, man. I just felt like that. And that feeling literally never went away. Um, simple as that. Crazy, right? 
That I mean, it is crazy. And I think, I, I don't know how, I, I wonder how your parents were when you kind of started wanting to be a bodybuilder and lifting weights and things. Were they kind of supportive or were they a bit concerned? Because I know, I mean, a lot of people talk about like the growth plates and I know my parents probably would have been a bit like, oh no, what are you doing? Uh, how did that go? Well, um, I didn't, I, I didn't have a dad, so I never knew who my dad was and my mom didn't raise me either. Um, she had kind of a really hard life. My grandmother raised me and my grandmother, she was the typical grandmother that just loved you and supported you no matter what. So, you know, whatever I was doing, she, um, supported me. Amazing. She was a cook in a restaurant, so she'd bring me home extra eggs and chicken and cherry pies when I was trying to put on weight <laughs> that people didn't eat during the day. So she was always very, very supportive the whole time. No, that's amazing. I think, I think more of that is needed, kind of the understanding. I think kind of podcasts like this and the more science that's coming out is making kind of parents more aware that actually weightlifting, um, as long as it's done the right way, uh, which we're going to talk about, can be incredibly kind of healthful and really, really productive. And I think bodybuilding overall can be incredibly productive for people. You see people like Arnold Schwarzenegger, yourself, um, how bodybuilding can actually kind of be in so many areas in your life and you don't even realize that it's helping them. Um, so I'd love to know kind of what made you stay with bodybuilding kind of is what you always wanted to do. But I guess in many ways, people could argue bodybuilding is a bit of a, a dull sport in that you do the same sort of things in the gym, the same sort of lifts make you progress and you just have to keep doing it essentially and it's consistency. Um, so I'd love to hear kind of, how did you keep it exciting? What made you stay? Well, first of all, I'm, um, a very committed person and, I had that goal of being a professional bodybuilder really, really early, and it was a true goal. It wasn't just one day I woke up and said, you know, I'm going to do whatever and just kind of maybe halfway mean it. I really wanted to do it, and I just kept getting closer and closer and closer, but it never got boring to me. It got frustrating because I had so many second place finishes. I had so many really close finishes to uh, getting my pro card before finally actually getting my pro card. But um, it, if you follow my training, a lot of the stuff I do is a little different. So when I go to the gym, I think of it probably a little differently than people have in the past. Mm -hmm. I understand certain exercises are great for some people, but I always try to figure out well, what, what works really well for me and what works really well for you is an ongoing experience. I mean, it's, it's a lifelong mission. And so every time I went to the gym, it was, it was a challenge. It was like, okay, my back's pathetic. I have no lats. So what can I do to bring my lats up? It was, you know, my upper chest is just way too flat. You know, my, my clavicles are too narrow. So how can I look wider? I mean, it was all like a puzzle to me. Yeah. So I always looked at it like this puzzle I was trying to solve and I'm still trying to solve it. I mean, I've been doing some training the last month that I pulled back from my old athletic days and it's been super fun. I've been enjoying it. So it's all a puzzle to me and I'm always trying to figure things out and learn and get better and, I spend probably two to three hours a day reading. And um, if I don't read, like I feel like I'm being lazy. <laughs> so um, I'm, I've, I have this constant pursuit of trying to educate myself and learn and be, and be creative too, because 
a lot of people just get locked into their ideas and they lose that creative thought. Yeah. And that creative thought, I think, is what allowed me to get a pro card because if I kept doing the things that didn't work, yeah. um, just waiting for them to magically work someday, I, I don't think I would have achieved what I did. But, you know, you you keep doing something that doesn't work and eventually you're like, hey, you know what, I got to really examine what I'm doing here and maybe change my approach, maybe change my exercises. So that's just kind of how my mind works, you know, but I certainly had, um, you know, days and weeks where I was frustrated, but I just, I still in my heart always loved the sport though. So no matter how frustrated I got, I love the sport. It's kind of like, you know, like, uh, your spouse or family member, you might, or your best friend, you might have times where you're mad at them, but you still love them. And that's kind of how I kind of how I feel about it. No, I think, I think a lot of body, uh, would you say you're quite an obsessive type of personality? Kind of you attach yourself to things, you just go all in? 100%. Yeah. 100%. And the only problem with that is I'm getting older and I can't remember as much. So what happens <laughs> is I find something that I'm very fascinated in and I just pour into it. I mean, right now it's sleep. And I know oh, more cool. about sleep than probably people can imagine. But the problem is, is now some of the other stuff I knew, I, I find myself forgetting it. So it's like the older I get, I can only remember so much. So I'll be really good on a topic and then I'll go to something else. And then I'll be at a seminar. I'll be about a week away from a seminar and I'll have to go back. Like, oh man, I got to sharpen back up on this. I kind of forget what I was even thinking. So I think, I mean... I mean, I think a lot of people listening who are bodybuilders who have been in the game a long time will have that sort of trait. I'm exactly the same. If I like something, I'll go all in and I'll just keep going. Um, and I said bodybuilding's boring really with grit teeth because I don't find it boring either. And it's exactly the same as you said it because I think on the on the surface, it can look quite dull. But there's so many avenues. You just talked about sleep. And I think a lot of people don't even realize that as a bodybuilder, sleep is actually something that's going to be vitally important to your success. Um, so just the fact that you can look down and there's so many, it's so multifaceted makes you keep going. And I very much agree when you kind of nail the principles, like you get your basics, right? You kind of know nutrition, you kind of know training, you know what breeds results is then key to bodybuilding is individualization because so many people are different. You have different body types, you have different muscle fiber types um, and all of those amazing things. Um, And something you've managed to do really well is kind of, I guess, manage your fatigue. I think a lot of bodybuilders kind of end up ending their careers with an injury or something along those lines. And I think it'll be really beneficial because like I said before off air, we have a young audience. Um, I think a lot of them would appreciate hearing how you've kept training productively for so long, what kind of tools you've used? Well, when you say that, there's two things that that immediately come to my mind. One of them is the sequencing of your exercises. You know, when I was younger, I was taught you always got to do the compound movements first. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's true to a degree. But as you get older, those heavy benches and heavy deadlifts will start to um, beat your body up. Mm -hmm. You know, your soft tissue takes a beating, your spine takes a beating, your elbows take a beating, some people's knees take a beating. And I had many, many, many strains and near tears. And I eventually sequenced my compound exercises second or even third in my routines. And that probably eliminated 90% of the injuries I was that I was having. Mm -hmm. Just that one simple change made a huge difference. And then the other thing, um, I'm a stickler on form and a lot of people like to, they get, 
you know, let's say they're doing a set of squats and let's say they're shooting for eight reps and on their sixth rep, they barely get it. And then on their seventh rep, you can see their form starting to go. And on their eighth rep, they hurt themselves. Yeah. So I've always been a big believer when you're using movements uh, like compound movements, you can't compromise your form. Um, you really, when, when you're messing with those kind of loads and I'm not actually even with a lighter load, you know, like let's say you're doing a bent over barbell row, yeah. maybe the weight's not even that heavy, but let's say you let the bar drift out in front of you because you're tired and you're not paying attention. Now all of a sudden a ton of stress just shifted on your lower back. Then if you lose that flat back, you're really putting yourself in a situation where you can get injured. So I'm a stickler on form. Um, and I feel like if you want to extend the set, there are plenty of ways you can do it and keep good form. You can yeah. do a drop set. You can do, um, oh, what's it called? My buddy Scott Stevenson does them. The uh, muscle rounds, oh, yeah. uh, the cluster sets. You can do cluster sets. You can do drop sets. You can then do partials where you maybe only are going halfway. There's so many things you can do to keep good form. There's no need to ever do anything sloppy. So I'm a pretty big advocate on when I see people doing sloppy stuff, it usually results in an injury. Yeah. Um, you can get away with it sometimes, you know, like if you're doing a cable curl and you're cheating a little bit, that's one thing, but yeah. you know, but if you're doing a heavy deadlift and your back starts around and you just keep grinding out reps, like you're just asking for trouble. Yeah. I think, I mean, I, I hope I'm not sure you do, but I work out in a lot of commercial gyms and I don't often look around to observe that much. But when I did recently, I was kind of absolutely godsmacked and I just was thankful that I think a lot of people aren't kind of. Uh, strong enough to actually injure themselves badly because even the form on most people just isn't there and i think it is kind of the foundation of any bodybuilder is kind of their form and uh, i think if anyone's watched your youtube videos or instagram videos it's absolutely clear that you just you have intensity in your training you're not training kind of weak or soft you're training hard but you keep that kind of the technical failure you you don't fail technically you fail properly and you're actually targeting the muscle rather than kind of the ligaments or the joints or something else is taking over. Yeah, that's the idea. That's the idea. So those are probably the two biggest things I can think of for, for the young youngsters that are kind of getting in, in deep into this stuff. And out of interest, I think a lot of our audience kind of when they think of fatigue management, obviously sleep and things come into a nutrition. Um, but a big one that kind of comes up is deloads. And is that something you incorporate within your training or do you kind of use tapers or any sort of volume reduction? Well, what I like to do is uh, so when I deload or taper, whatever you call it, I usually stop taking sets to failure, number one. And I will give muscles more rest before I train them again. So let's say I've been training, let's say I, just for the sake of example, let's say I've been training legs on Mondays and Thursdays. Mm -hmm. Well, I might just train them on Mondays for two weeks and not Thursdays. Um, I won't take anything to failure. And if I need to, I'll pull down the volume, maybe 20%. But the big thing is, is when people start to overreach um, or get into overtraining, it's normally because they're just not letting their muscle repair. Yeah. And when it doesn't repair, it can't produce force. So you start to get weaker and then people get kind of frustrated and they push even harder. Yeah. Then they push even harder. And then it gets into the whole overtraining syndrome, which is, I think the scientists are still trying to figure out exactly what it is. Yeah. You know, you can't, you get insomnia, you get an increased heart rate, you get increased irritability. You have all these things kind of settle in and, all of a sudden you're pretty jacked up. But if you just give the muscles time to recover, um, 
usually you can very easily do like a two week deload and you're, you feel fresh yeah. afterwards. Yeah, I know more research is coming out time and time again. And I know bodybuilders hate taking time off the gym. And I think we all don't like doing the deloads, um, but they're so helpful. And yeah, more research is coming out on how beneficial these are and how you don't lose muscle. If you even you don't train at all for a week, you're unlikely to actually lose anything unless you're kind of dieting aggressively or something along those lines. Yep. Um, yep. I believe I've read before that you're maybe a fan or you've taken kind of active recovery periods for like two weeks off the gym, like after shows or... Is that something you've utilized within kind of your longevity, your career? Yeah. So what I like to do is um, when you compete at the end of the competition, uh, you're usually, you know, you're, you're on the verge of overtraining, yeah. you know, your calories have been low, you beat yourself to death. And then I see these guys in the gym on um, uh, the following Monday and they're training really hard. And I'm thinking, Either you didn't train really hard for your show, if you still have that much energy, or it's just not a real wise approach. Mm -hmm. But what happens is you eat more food. So I think you're in a position where I think you should keep training. Yeah. But what I tell people is you're going to keep training for four weeks. Um, we're going to get your calories up aggressively. There's no reason to slowly work out of a caloric deficit. Just get them back up. Yeah. If you gain a little fatter quicker, it doesn't matter because it just means you're going to get to the point where you can perform better. Your joints will have cushion, et cetera. Brilliant. So then after the four weeks, and they've trained probably at about 80% intensity, certainly not killing herself. And then I let people take a couple weeks off. And, you know, they're always the first week complaining, like, I got to train. I got to train. I'm like, no, don't train. Yeah. And then the second week, they're like, okay, this feels kind of good to be resting. And you can, it's not just physical, it's mental. Yeah. So then the, they come back in the third week and mentally they're ready to go. Physically, they're recharged and their calories are up. So uh, to your point, they didn't lose any muscle. Yeah. You know, they might, the muscle bellies might look a little flat, but as soon as they start training, boom, it comes right back up. Mm -hmm. So I think that kind of approach from a longevity perspective can really help people. And, it, and you don't have to compete. You can just, it has nothing to do with competing. It's just when you have a period where you've worked really hard for a long time, especially when you've been dieting, those kind of breaks, there's nothing wrong with them. Mm -hmm. No, fantastic. And I, I mean, that's something I definitely used after my, actually the exact approach you talked about after my show, I continued to train, built calories up. And then I just kind of, once I got to a body fat where I was like, this is probably where lower end of my settling point felt healthy, held that lowered volumes. And then that just allowed me to then really push training. Because if, you, like you said, if you just keep going, there gets a point where you actually can't keep progressively overloading and you need things to settle um, or resensitize in many ways. I know Mike Isratel, I know you're kind of, you've talked to Mike Isratel before and he's very much a fan of these kind of maintenance, lower volume phases now and then for a bodybuilder, um, which I think are underrated uh, from the longevity perspective, physiologically and psychologically, which you touched on because um, it does get tiresome when you can incorporate all of these drop sets and uh, muscle rounds and things, but after a while they kind of wear you out. Um, so no, I, I love that. And in terms of nutrition, is there anything you've done with your nutrition to keep you in the game? I think for myself, when I kind of understood macros a bit more and I could be a bit flexible, I could go out for meals and it wasn't like I had to eat out of Tupperware and have all these strict meals, which I think a lot of kind of younger listeners might think that's what bodybuilding is and that they might think that you've done that for your entire life. Um, but what nutritional strategies have you found to have helped you stay? Well, so my first probably two and a half decades in the sport, you got to realize I came from the old school. So we ate tuna, 
and we ate oatmeal and we had egg whites and it was brutal. And, um, I thought this is how you have to eat to be a successful bodybuilder. And, and I was pretty successful with that method, but then guess what happened? I got a family. I got married. I had kids and, you know, I would, um, I would, you know, want to do something with my kids. Like if they're having a piece of cake, I want to have a piece of cake with them. Right. So, and I remember back in the old days, man, where my friends used to go to the buffet and I would take cans of tuna with me. I mean, I was, I was hardcore, Yeah. but I started incorporating, um, what I called a 90, 10 plan, which was as long as 90% of your meals are good and then 10% isn't going to kill you. So what that equates to uh, every other day, I'll have a nice meal of whatever I want. Cool. Now it's probably like every single day, but, <laughs> um, but there was never anything negative from it. Yeah. And even competing all the way up until the show, I would always take a meal Friday night, take my family out, enjoy it. Don't stress about it. I typically ate six meals a day mm-hmm. um, when I was competing. So 42 meals a week. And I didn't figure 41 of them were good. One of them would be bad. And it served so many good purposes. It was the psychological part of it. And um, the other thing is, is when you don't alienate your family or your friends and you just do stuff with them, they're going to be more inclined to support you. Yeah. And when you kind of have a good support system around you, it can only help you. Yeah. But when you're being in a butthole and you're blowing people off and, you know, I've seen so many family units just break down because of competitions and guys saying, well, you know, it's competition time. I'm not going out of the house. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. And it's so short sighted. Mm -hmm. And eventually those guys look back and they're like, man, what was I thinking? There is a way to be a hardcore bodybuilder, but still have a family. Right. So I have no issues at all with flexible dieting. And um, what I do on my Instagram is I typically show that 10%. Yeah. <laughs> so people are like, man, all Meadows does the pancakes. I'm like, well, I'm not showing you the chicken salads and, the, you know, I'm not showing you all the other meals yeah. because those are boring. So I just like to show my fun meals. Yeah. But um, so I think the flexible dieting thing is um, it's been great for bodybuilding and mm-hmm. I'm all for it. You know, as long as people use common sense, I mean, I'm all for it. Um, I think it's been a great thing. Yeah. I think that the common sense um, statement that you made there is the thing that often gets missed by people. They kind of take the more, it maybe if it fits your macros approach, um, which can work, but I just don't think it, that in itself is going to breed longevity either because of the, the health consequences and things that can come with that. And it's probably not going to make your physique look its best either, but I definitely love the fact that you talked about how, kind of that 90-10, it's a great rule to live by. And the fact that you stated you didn't see any detriment in your physique and everyone's already heard how hardcore a bodybuilder you are. Like if you thought that 10% would make that difference, I'm sure you wouldn't have even done it um, regardless. So um, I think for our listeners to take that home and if any of them are that strict, um, it's just not worthwhile. And I really liked also the fact you touched on kind of the multifaceted sport that bodybuilding is kind of your relationships, they matter. Um, you could go to a show and win it, but if you haven't got anyone in the crowd kind of cheering you on and supporting you, yeah. it's kind of, what's it worth? And yeah. tro- trophies at the end of the day, they're great. But when you come home to nothing, but your kind of your own bachelor pad, it's not quite the same as when you can have it with other people. So, um, no, I think that's really important. And 
um, involving them in it and enjoying your food with them because food's such a big part of our lives, I think is incredibly important. So no, I really love those points. Well, one of the things that drives me crazy, man, is when people say food is nothing but fuel. Yeah. I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you'd, you'd say that. I mean, it's a cultural experience. When you sit down and have a meal with your family, it's family bonding. When you go out with a buddy, you guys are eating, you're building your, your, you're building your relationship, your social connections are better. Food is kind of a gateway to social connection. Yeah. And when people treat it like it's just fuel, like that's sad because it's in other cultures, um, you know, you see that in Italian cultures. I mean, what do you think of? You think of all the Italians sitting around eating, which is yeah. awesome. You know, I have a lot of Hispanic friends and when I go over to their house, it's all this. They got these traditions and customs and it's more than fuel. Yeah. It's a it's a, you know, just a cultural experience. It, it, and that stuff, man. When you get older, when you get to my age, you'll start to realize the value that that brings to your life, having those connections. Yeah. Those connections are so, so important. And uh, one of the things I, I try to think about all the time is, am, are my connections improving? Because it's real easy in this social media world to not have true connections. Mm-hmm. You know, if somebody likes your picture, it's not a social, it's not a real connection. You know, and I think people are just so engrossed in social media. They just that's their life. Yeah. And they forget what it means to have true social connection and those kinds of things, man, really add value to your life. and They bring happiness to your life. No, I think completely, especially for a bodybuilder. I mean, it's an isolating enough sport. You don't have teammates or anything along those lines. You might have some buddies in the gym with you, but um, it is going to be other people who maybe aren't bodybuilders, who are your friends, who you do go out for meals with, or you visit countries with your family and you enjoy the foods over there and you have, like experience cultures. And I think that's really important because I think bodybuilding for most people is part of your life. It isn't like who you are. Your John, John Meadows, the, I mean, you'd probably say you're a husband and a father before a bodybuilder. Um, yep. So I think that's incredibly important because I think everyone in life wants to eventually get to that stage. Um, so something I did want to also ask you was, I mean, you've talked about how you don't necessarily think you had the best genetics and you had to kind of individualize your training and really think about it. It made you, I think a lot of the best kind of, um, maybe the best scientist, someone like Brad Schoenfeld, I don't think he either would say his genetics are the best, but that's made him research the literature to the nth degree. And he's incredibly knowledgeable and can probably help people better because of that. Um, And I think the same can be said for yourself. And what do you think you did to make yourself successful? What are the key characteristics or key things you think you did or other people might be able to do who don't have those superior genetics could do for themselves? Well, I never got too worried about what other people thought of me in the gym. Like if I was doing something that looked a little bizarre, I didn't really care. You know, when I started doing those rows with the T-bar row that's now called Meadows rows, people were always like looking at me like, man, what is it? I think I might've even had a couple people go, Hey, you're doing those wrong. You want me to show you how (laughs) I just, I don't care. I could care less what, I don't even really notice what's going on in the gym for the most part around me. I'm just kind of there to train. Amazing. But, um, I just wasn't afraid to experiment and, you know, there's a lot of things I've done pretty well creatively. There's also a lot of things I've done that were just kind of stupid, but I tried it and I was like, okay, well that wasn't such a good idea. But 
you don't know until you try different stuff, you know? So I think for people who are kind of stuck, you know, for me, like for my back, bent over rows and deadlifts off the floor did zero to build my back. Am I saying those are bad exercises? Absolutely not. All I'm saying is they didn't work for me. Mm -hmm. So I had to find other exercises that worked. I didn't care that every time I get on the internet, people are saying the best way to build a huge back is to deadlift. Well, it might be true for you, but it does nothing for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think you just have to forget about what other people think and find things that work for you. And um, there's nothing wrong with that. And I was never the guy, if, if you haven't figured this out already, I was never the guy that sat around going, I'm not going to try something until I see that it's proven. Yeah, yeah. Like that is a completely backward way of thinking. Mm-hmm. If something is fairly is proven to be pretty ineffective, then you might want to consider not doing it. But um, I was never the guy. I'm still to this day not the guy that's just going to sit around and go, oh, I'm going to because I deal with a lot of people like that. Yeah. You know, well, you know, I haven't seen this work, um, any literature on it. I'm like, well, have you tried it? No. Well, then how can you say it doesn't work? Yeah. You know, uh, because I got hundreds of people that will tell you it does work. So just a mindset thing, you know, just don't be shut. Don't be closed off. Don't be one of those people that says, well, I'm not going to try something until it's proven. You know, there's not this huge sum of money for guys like Brad sitting around so that you can test every possible scenario. Yeah. It just doesn't happen. So your lab, my lab is the people I work with and myself. That is my lab. Yeah. And so experimentation is a way to come up with ideas. You know, I'm doing something with 24 hour fast now with bodybuilders. Nobody else is doing. And, you know, if I believe what everybody said, they'd say, well, you're going to lose all your muscle and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Your metabolism is going to slow down. The complete opposite is true on both of those cases. You don't lose your muscle in 24 hours. You know, you're burning glycogen and you're probably burning some fat, but you're not eating your muscle, you might get a little flat from glycogen Mm -hmm. depletion, but then your metabolism, well, when you lower calories, yeah, your metabolic rate will slow down. That's normal. But when you fast, your adrenals produce, I mean, you're making norepinephrine, you're making things that actually elevate your metabolism. Even if it's only a tiny bit, say 1%, at least you're not dropping it. So, you know, you can get into a caloric deficit if you structure this well, without losing muscle and without slowing down your metabolism. So those are just, I mean, that's just kind of how my mind works. I'm actually mm-hmm. working on book right now on how to incorporate 24 hour fast. Um, I think it's for bodybuilding. I think it's, I think in general, generally speaking, I think it's superior to, to intermittent fasting mm-hmm. in regards. So anyways, that was a little off the top. No, I, I mean the, the quote that was kind of ringing in my head, I think it's from Eric Helms is the absence of evidence isn't the evidence of absence. So it's kind of like if there isn't something out there, I mean, like you rightly said, if there's something saying that it's just, it, it, there's no point to it. Like BCAAs maybe are becoming that sort of thing where it's like, maybe yeah. we thought they were worthwhile, but now it's becoming more clear that there's, you don't need to supplement with those. Whereas something like, I don't know, a new supplement that's not very well researched, maybe like, I don't know, citrulline malate, for example, there's more research coming out that's saying it's probably going to be useful, but you wouldn't bet on it right now, maybe, because there isn't that much evidence. But 
a lot of the time evidence comes out confirming what kind of the bros were doing in the kind of the gym in the first place and some comes out and proves it wrong some confirms it so if you're finding something like you said you weren't scared to try things and i think that's brilliant and you learn kind of what works for you and maybe you get rid of what doesn't work for you and just being not dogmatic in your ways and closed-minded i think from my perspective has I, i've seen that with yourself you're very open to new ideas and concepts i mean doing fasting i bet 10 years ago or something along those lines you're probably thinking you're nuts but right now it's oh, yeah. you're well open to which is awesome yeah yeah two three years ago if you had told me that i would have people doing 24 hour fast i would have said you're crazy man <laughs> <laughs> awesome well I, I have one more question for you because I'm very conscious that you're uh, of your time. Um, and the final question is, kind of what are your future hopes for bodybuilding? Do you have any kind of, where do you see it going? Or do you have any kind of, are there things you want to see come to bodybuilding? Man, um, boy, I got to be politically correct when <laughs> I say this stuff. Um, I'm a little disappointed with bodybuilding right now. Mm-hmm. Um and the reason why I'm disappointed is that it's turned out to be straight chemical warfare. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you I've I'm, I'm, I'm been natural my whole life or any of that stuff because that's obviously not true. But there's a big difference between um, using a little bit uh, and versus the stuff that's going on today. Yeah. And what we have today is we have a bunch of young coaches that have entered the ranks that kind of want the fast path to start them. So they just are jamming people full of chemicals that are the dosing blows my mind. Mm -hmm. It just blows my mind because I have all these people come to me saying, yeah, this is what so-and-so had me doing. This is what so-and-so had me doing. And I look at this stuff and I'm just like, man, wow, this is a far cry from what we did in the Mm nineties. And I personally don't think the physiques are better now than they were 15, 20 years ago. I mean, when you looked at, you know, you looked at guys like Kevin LeBron and, you know, all these guys when they were at their peak in the 90s and Flex Wheeler, you know, the physiques aren't aren't better now. Mm-hmm. They're just chemical. They just look like chemical cartoons. Yeah. And and like I said, man, I'm not I'm not trying to be disingenuous. I'm not trying to say I'm natural or anything like that. Um, but um, I really hope that you know, now you're starting to see people die. Yeah. You know, you're starting to see massively enlarged hearts. There are um, a couple guys I know in the IPB that now are on kidney dialysis as the last couple of years that it's on a silent end. Nobody talks about it, but I'm starting to see more and more of these health issues. And every time there's a health issue, people run to make excuses. Oh, it had nothing to do with the anabolics. Like, really? So you don't think the uncontrolled blood pressure had nothing to do with the anabolics? Seriously. So I just wish people would um, lighten up on the chemicals and take a little better care of their bodies. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's already a brutal sport. Yeah. So I, I just hope bodybuilding kind of, you know what I like is I like this classic uh, division, bodybuilding classic. But here's the thing. I don't think there should be a classic bodybuilding class. Mm-hmm. I just think that bodybuilding should be judged the way classic is judged. Right. There shouldn't be two separate divisions. I mean, there shouldn't be a division for guys with a giant waist and guys with a tiny waist. <laughs> now, keep in mind, this is coming from someone who's not aesthetically pleasing. Yeah. I'm not Flex Wheeler. You know, for me, it benefits me by lo- loosening up those standards. But in my heart, I know that the true 
image of a bodybuilder to me should be a little waist, wide shoulders. It should be a beautiful structure, mm-hmm. an equal amount of muscle that's developed and separated. You know, now guys don't have muscle separation. A lot of them, they're huge, but they just, they don't yeah. have muscle separation, you know, from all the incrolex they take and all the massive loads of insulin and GH. And, um, you know, so I just wish it was still just bodybuilding, but they judged it like classic and he took away the weight limits. Mm-hmm. You know, I see a guy like Reagan um, in Canada. I think that kid's got a great future. That's a great, that's a guy who has a great look. Yeah. Nathan Diasha, another guy, little waist, broad shoulders. That's a great look. And then I see like, you know, Mr. Olympia, he hits a front double bicep and his obliques are hanging out. His legs are shaped kind of weird. Um, that's just not my image of what a Mr. Olympia should look like. But mm-hmm. I think back like Lee Haney. Lee Haney hit that double bicep and his lats came out, yeah. his stomach sucked in. I mean, Lee Haney was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he maybe needed a little bit bigger legs, but Lee Haney, that's what a bodybuilder should look like. And, um, you know, I'm not knocking anybody personally. I'm just saying my tastes and physiques and, um, you know, and I never had that personally, but I always wanted that. I always yeah. say I'd love to look like Flex Wheeler in 1993. It just wasn't in the cards for me. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, I mean, I love the honesty and I actually have a very similar perspective to my, to yourself. I mean, as a, I mean, I do it naturally and the physiques I look up to aren't necessarily the ones that you're, the ones that you're talking about, the, the current kind of Mr. Olympias. It is the old kind of school bodybuilders, the more classic physique. And I, I too, I don't have those sort of the nice insertions and I have a big waist, but it's still what I aspire to. Um, yeah. so I know I, I completely agree. I think a lot of listeners will as well. And, um, like you said, it's not personal. It's just your honest opinion on how you like the sport to be. Um, so that's really cool. And I, I want to say a massive thank you for, um, spending some time with me. And, uh, I think the listeners will really, really enjoy this. And I know they want to say thank you as well and happy birthday. Um, and if people want to find more from you, I know we've talked about your YouTube channel and your Instagram, there will be linked below. Is there anything else you kind of want to tell the listeners if you've got anything in the works? Well, um, I've done probably 30 some training programs now. Um, I've sold thousands upon thousands of my training programs. I'm really proud of them because I put a lot of work into them. Just to give you an example, the last one I launched at the Arnold Classic is a 189 page ebook. Um, the detail in my programs is unrivaled and I have no problem saying that. And then I have little sections in it called in the last one anyway, pro tips cool. where it's kind of like an educational resource. So little snippets of, you know, if you want to work the, your biceps femoris completely, then you're going to have to do a leg curl for instance, because the short head doesn't work when you're hip hinging, just things like that yeah. to really help educate. So it's an educational resource, super, super detailed, 14 weeks of training, telling you exactly what to do. Um, so those are on my website, mountaindogdiet.com. Then the other thing is I have a member website. It's been going for eight years now. And I have many of the seminars that I've done over the years, including the one I just did at the Arnold this year with Scott Stevenson. They're on there, plus literally hundreds of articles from people that have wrote for me. Um, John Rusin, Scott Stevenson, Bill Willis. I mean, the sharpest minds you can possibly think of. And um, I have a section in there that tells you exactly how I've dieted people for contests. I put their exact diets in there and the changes, which everybody else is kind of scared to share that. But, you know, they're scared of giving away their secrets. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's a really good resource for people. I want to say it's like 
80 or 90 bucks a year, or you can do 20 bucks a month. You can stop anytime you want, but I'm, I put a lot of work into that. So I'm proud of it. I put a lot of work into my training programs. So, um, if anybody wants to take a look at those, I'd appreciate it. Then on YouTube and Instagram, it's mountain dog one. Perfect. Yeah. I'll make sure they're all linked below and, um, they sound fantastic. So yeah, thank you once again, John. Uh, thank you everyone for listening and we'll catch you soon. All right. Thanks. Maybe we'll talk again next year on my birthday. <laughs> <laughs>